I would have been here at 12, but I was chasing Starbucks points. Those are important to me. Need your points. What's the Starbucks points you had to chase? So this week, I got the little rewards thing, and if you went six times, you got 80 points. Like in the same day? No. Oh, okay. It's just six occurrences. say, you looked a little wired. No. <laughs> I thought, and now I understood. I was prepared. I thought today I had to go twice, but I don't. Okay. I just got my one, and I made my 80 points. Is there any way we can quit our jobs and do this thing full time? Because there is nothing I enjoy more in my week I know. than this podcast. This stuff. is truly your highlight. So, and I was thinking this morning, I was like, I'm so glad that Bill is Bill <laughs> because I can just show up and do this part. And you love all of the background stuff and just like, that's your happy spot. I remember in that's our very, not my happy spot. Our very first episode, we yeah. had this fantasy that you were going to learn some of these audio editing Did tools. Not, and Not interested. Yeah, you, you never signed up. <laughs> you didn't show up to the training class. Not interested. Welcome to episode 25 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And one of these days, Jamil, you're going to have to do the opening because it... <laughs> The listeners should not be inflicted upon hearing my voice the very first Listen, thing when this episode starts. I was starts. about to write a note that said, dang, that welcome was really powerful. I like <laughs> <You> it. <know? laughs> we have hit 25 episodes, quarter wow. century. That's incredible. That's awesome. If you like what you hear in this episode, please leave a rating and a review. Tell your friends about us. Follow us on social media. Or better yet... Don't help bail out 91 times indicted Donald Trump out of his nearly half billion dollars in judgments against him by buying his new brand of $400 golden sneakers. Have you heard about this yet? No. Yesterday, this is this is breaking news, by the way. Yeah. Just yesterday, Donald Trump showed up in Philadelphia at SneakerCon. Here's a man running for the President of the United States, and he's out there stumping a new set of Trump gold sneakers Has at SneakerCon. Have you ever seen him in sneakers? I, no. No, but let's take a little watch of this video oh, of please. him hawking his wares and see how the audience reacted in Philadelphia. Oh my God, Philadelphia, don't let me down. Wow, a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this room. Thank you. Thank you. So, so the really nice thing is we have lines, and I want to thank Chase, and I want to thank Alan, but we have lines going all around the block. They're going all around this block. Seen anything like this one? I just want to tell you, you know, I've wanted to do this for a long time. I have some incredible people that work with me. Anyhow, he got a rowdy chorus of boos as he tried to sell his $400 trash sneakers. So insulting. <laughs> He's got to pay off those fines, those legal judgments somehow. Well, maybe the GoFundMe that they have will help him. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> you can always drop us a note at blackwhiteblueinthesouth at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Threads. And as of this morning, we are now on another social platform. I saw that. <laughs> 
Did you really? I did. How I did. did you see that? I said I got notifications. Oh, you got the email notifications. Yeah. We are now on Mastodon. Yes. We've got video clips to enhance this podcast, and some of them are instant clacks. All right, we'll try this again. We've got video clips to enhance this podcast, and some of them are instant classics. You know what threw me off? What? I wrote on my script, instinct classics. <laughs> and so I was correcting one word in my head and completely flubbed the word that came after. Yeah. I tell you what, thank God we don't do this live. <laughs> we have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything. So look at those show notes where we'll have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. Hi, Jamil. Hi, Bill. I got some awesome news this weekend. I'm listening. All right, so I'm going to tell you a little personal story. Okay. We have a beloved dog named Ace. He's four years old. Yes. We picked him up off the side of the road. He was found only a few days after birth on the side of the road here in Greenwood, South Carolina. He was all matted. He was starving. He was full of worms. We (gasps) took him in. Got him all cleaned up, took care of him, and Ace has become a beloved member of Aww, our family. He that's is sweet. He is just the biggest heart, the, the biggest soul. Love him to death. But we never knew what he was. Okay. He's got the, the mouth of a hippo, but okay. the legs of a mosquito. <laughs> like he's a, a, a scrawny thing too, with this big old face. And then he's got wrinkles in some places, Aww. but tight skin in others. He was just a mess of a dog. We have no idea what he was. <laughs> okay. So for Christmas, we got ourselves a DNA kit from Embark, and that's E-M-B-A-R-K. Really? And it is a dog DNA testing service. Oh, that's where you interesting. Take a swab of the dog spit, and Ace has no shortage of that. Let okay. me tell you, we grabbed that DNA, we sent it in, and a couple of weeks later, we finally got the results. Okay. My beautiful boy, Ace, the happiest dog I have ever known, is 30% Weimaraner, okay. if that's how you pronounce it, Labrador, 25%, American Pit Bull Terrier, 23%, he's 14% Chinese Sharpay, wow. and 7% Boxer. Wow. Like, there was some <laughs> doggy business happening in his bloodline there. He's a of everything. I was like, this wow. must have been a wild night at the dog park. <laughs> To produce this boy, but we got his our results, and now I I just love him Aww. so much more because now I look at him and I go, yep, he's got the wrinkly face of a Sharpay, and okay. he's got the mosquito legs of a Weimaraner, and he's got the the playfulness of a pit bull. So you can see he it. is as loving as a lab ever is. Like wow. it, I'm just projecting all these characteristics on yeah, him, but it all yeah. make he makes sense to me now. Aww. He makes sense. That's cute. I thought so, too. So I figured I'd open up the show. dog DNA. On a happy note, because we're going to hit some dark places. Let's go. In this episode. Let's go. (laughs) But before we do, before we get to the topics today, I do want to do a follow-up. Okay. To episode 23. It was part two of our interview with State House District 26 candidate, Matt Villardebeau. Yeah. We talked about charter schools. Yes. And we talked about how in South Carolina, there is a new charter school opening up that Moms for Liberty leaders are on the board of. Mm-hmm. We also talked about how Erskine College yep. has been positioning themselves as a charter school accreditation factory mm-hmm. as their core financial model. We talked about how charter schools receive taxpayer funds. Yeah. And now we're kind of circumventing the private school, public school funding question by mm-hmm. taking these religious and 
conservative charter schools and getting taxpayer funds. Yeah. Anyhow, today in the state newspaper, mm. they started a multi-part investigative series about this charter school group in South Carolina called Teach Right Traditional Schools. Mm. They are accredited by Erskine College mm-hmm. and, again, taxpayer-funded as well. Okay. They oversee more than two dozen South Carolina charter schools. But get this. Mm. It has just come to light that they are now, as part of their business plan, looking to open up charter schools in Tennessee. So all this time, they've been traveling to Tennessee, investigating, looking at properties, looking at business plans on South Carolina taxpayer money Mm -mm. to open up conservative schools in Mm. Tennessee. So anyhow... It is a fascinating series. I uh, will include a link to this in our show notes, okay. but uh, this is certainly worth the price of subscription to the state newspaper. Mm-hmm. These type of investigative journalism, man, it's so good and refreshing that we have people out there asking questions yes. and digging into asking the, the things right that are important. Yeah. Fired up! Ready to go! If this is your first time listening to us, you may not be aware, but both myself and Jamil are candidates for office. We are running for state house in South Carolina. I'm running for House District 13. I'm District 12. And we like to share with you a little bit of the behind the scenes (laughs) of what's happening in our campaign. Of course, the election is not until November, but we have been at this since last year. And let's start by what happened most recently. uh, Your trip yesterday in McCormick. Tell me about that. Awesome. So got an invite to go to the MIM Center to attend their African-American history program. The wonderful thing about this is this event had several sponsors, and it was sponsors from different backgrounds. So we go to the event. The keynote speaker was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Stevens. He he works with McCormick, and I am going to say I think his position is the auditor for McCormick. They praise him so much for what he has done in terms of balancing those books and making sure that McCormick is doing what they should do and they're actually profitable. So he was a keynote speaker. There was one lady that I've got to get to meet one-on-one because she writes poems and she wrote a poem and it was when Obama became president. And it was so cool to hear her recite that. This is an older lady that is writing poems and she speaks right above a whisper. So she has to get in the microphone so you can hear. But it was so much passion attached to that. And from my understanding, that was not her first poem that she has written for them. So I'm just going to dig in a little deeper and just get to know her. Were you just an attendee? or did Just you an get attendee. A, you didn't get a spotlight on you for a minute or I two? I didn't need it. You know that I'm really, I know, right? You don't need it. Yes, we need it. We're politicians. I, I, I the spotlight needs to be on us wherever just, we go. I just love to go and see how people interact. we got to break you out of this. I know. Because even last week when we were at church, I was kind of upset that the preacher took more time up there than I did. <gasps> I, I should have been allowed more Bill, of a center stage. No. I'm telling you, we need to be very <laughs> selfish about the time we get because it no, is fleeting. It they is. get to hear the pastor every Sunday. How they often do. do they get to hear us? Well, we'll, we'll fit our <laughs> way in there. Yeah. But I didn't. Um, and I was actually glad just to be able to sit there. And it was so funny because one lady was sitting beside me and had no idea I was a candidate. And someone else sat down at the table and said, do you not know who this is? And the lady said, no. And the lady said, well, this is Jamil Brooks. She's a candidate for state house. And the lady was like astonished because the whole time we were sitting there laughing and she was tapping me and I was tapping her. And she said, I've been tapping on you the whole time and you're a candidate. I said, yeah, but what does that matter? We need to make that our last name. Your name is now Dr. Jamil Brooks, candidate for state house. (laughs) 
So that is your last name, candidate for state house, and Brooks is now your middle name. Yeah. That's how <laughs> we need to approach hilarious. this. hilarious. She had no clue, and I just really enjoyed talking to her with her not knowing me. Awesome. You and I also had an event last Friday, just a couple of days back. Yeah. And we were at a local winery, met a wonderful local business owner. I mean, shoot, I chatted with him late into the night. Well, That's after a really you nice. Left. That's a nice guy. He is. He yeah. is. And, and I really hope to make a strong connection with him. Uh, so we did our first formal meet and greet. Yes. We had advertised it for a week. We put it on all the social medias. We yeah. let people know about it. We even did paid advertising on Facebook. And we had a disappointing turnout. I'm going to <laughs> confess it. I'm not going to be dressing up stuff and, and lying when there's uh, truth to be told. But we, I mean, we had a turnout, but I would say 90% of our turnout was our campaign team. Yeah. They showed up in force. We had yeah. a couple of other stragglers that came through and a, a car full of wonderful people that came after the event ended. Okay. But what did you feel about that? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you said that it was like 90% our campaign team. Um, and the reason I'm glad that they are there is this gave them an opportunity to realign and reconnect to what we stand for. So if no one else was there... To me, it was a win to have them there to hear us pour from where we're passionate in a different capacity. We're normally gathered around the table. We're focused on specific items, action items. But that night was a night for them to hear from us as it relates to the campaigns that they support. So I consider that a win. The other win was that the social media push that we did garnered a couple of thousand views in our county um, in McCormick and Greenwood. So they saw us or our faces. But I'm wondering if maybe... We just didn't strike a little too early. You know, maybe in February, people aren't as focused on a November election. Yeah. Uh, and as time goes on, they'll be a little more fired up to turn out for us. Yeah. But I do want to share this. And, and I know, Jamila, you've seen this, but I don't know that our listeners have heard this story. And this is why I did not get bothered by the attendance at all, mm -hmm. because President Barack Obama tells his story about the first time he visited Greenwood, South Carolina. This is back in 2007. He was just Senator Obama at the time. And he came to Greenwood, little old Greenwood. And that visit changed the course of his campaign. And I dare say we're responsible yeah. for President Barack Obama at the end. So I want to play this little clip where he tells the story in his own words. Your voice makes a difference. And if you don't believe that, I want to leave you with one last story. When I ran for the presidency in 08, I, I fly down to North Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina. Alarm goes off, and I feel terrible. I am exhausted. think I'm coming down with a cold. I open up the curtains. It's pouring down rain outside. Pouring down rain. Horrible day. I get the newspaper outside my door, and there's a bad story about me in the New York Times. I get dressed, shaved walk out, my umbrella blows open. That ever happened to you? And I get soaked, soaked. I'm just soaked. I get in the car. I say, all right, how long is it going to take to Greenwood? An hour and a half. <laughs> Finally, I get out and I walk in and there are like 15, 20 people there. And I will tell you, they didn't look any happier to see me than I did <laughs> to see them. And so I go around the room and I say, how do you do? What do you do? But they're not really feeling it right now. And suddenly I hear this voice from the back just shout, fired up. And everybody in the room says, fired up. And then I hear the voice say, ready to go. And everybody in the room says, ready to go. And I don't know what's going on. I think these people are crazy. Maybe I shouldn't have come here. 
And then I look in the back of the room and there's this middle-aged woman. She's got a big church hat and she got, I think, a gold tooth. Turns out she holds a position in the local NAACP office and also, I'm not kidding you, is a private detective. This is a true story. She's like a, a, she's, she's like a private eye. Although it's hard to think that you wouldn't see her coming. She's very colorful. And she is known wherever she goes by saying this chant, fired up, ready to go. And every meeting she goes to, she does this thing. But the interesting thing is, after a while, I'm starting to get kind of fired up. I'm, 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 not, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to feel like I'm ready to go. And all those, all those negative thoughts and all those bad memories start kind of drifting away. And it just goes to show you how one voice can change a room. And if it can change a room, it can change a city. And if it can change a city, it can change a state. And if it can change a state, it can change a nation. And if it can change a nation, it can change the world. So I just have one question for you. Are you fired up? Ready to go? That's oh, nice. I get goosebumps nice. every time I yeah, hear it. Yeah, that's nice. Now, this was a three-minute video, uh, animated video, that goes along with this. So if you're not a show notes person, today is the, the day. Because even after hearing <laughs> that, you have to see it. And yeah. you get to understand how one little low-turnout event yeah. catapulted and became his rallying cry throughout that entire election. Fired up, ready to go. Millions, yeah. millions across this country wow. were chanting that wherever Obama went. Those were some days. Yeah. So, yes, I felt fired up after that because we did have some people who were there for the first time that didn't know us. There were a few. Correct. We made a connection with a local business owner who actually sat down Did you see with that? us, talked about his story a little yeah. bit about unions. Yeah. To be honest, I was a little nervous where he was going to go. I didn't know if he was going to be pro-union, anti-union, but he, he told his story. He summed it up really well. He said there are going to be, for every good story you hear about the union, you'll hear a bad story. But he had a good story. He had a um, good story. So it, it, and, and so he was friendly. The food was delicious. Um, I had a great time there. So I did feel fired up. And if nothing else it was good practice for you and i yeah. to give our speech yeah and i don't think we're moving too early I, I like you think the timing of what we're doing by the time you get closer to what we consider the full-fledged campaign season people are going to be inundated with last minute messages but we've been out here on this trail since last year singing the same song so by the time we get there on november the 5th people that needed to know us will know us and the fact that it was 90% our own campaign staff meant that every one of them had constructive comments afterwards. I like it. Everybody had opinions. Jamil, yours was you were a little soft in your voice. Yeah. Me, I was too loud yeah. and too long. Yeah. They said, as interesting as I was, and trust me, I'm the most interesting person I know. <laughs> I can listen to myself all day. Yeah. They said I needed to tighten it up a bit, but otherwise it was a compelling story that I told. So I... Great practice. I think so. Rather do that in front of friends who are able to give that constructive criticism and positive feedback. And then we just do better next time and the time after and the time after. Yeah. But there was one, I would call, sour thing that occurred 
in this whole meet and greet. Okay. And that was a comment that occurred on the Facebook page yeah. from an 18-year-old Citadel student. I'm not going to name the name. Yeah. But the comment was a little disturbing. And mm. I'm actually going to play the comment. Of course, I took Mr. AI voice. And I want people to hear mm-hmm. what some young folk feel free. And it's not just them. It's, it's all across the age spectrum, but how they feel free to interact with complete strangers online. So listen to what he had to say. Well, before you oh, click that, don't say some young folk, say this young folk, because I don't want to give it the impression that there are a lot of people feeling this way. For this particular case, this individual took it upon himself. In this case, yes. But I will say that this is not the first time I've seen these comments on on our posts. So this is uh, becoming more and more common. Let's take a listen. The Democrats have no place here in Greenwood or South Carolina. The Democratic Party and its current fundamentals are incapable of coexisting with a morally strong and physically resilient America. You have no place here because the values you perpetuate are a poison to any great civilization. I hope the Democratic Party of the 21st century will be remembered for what it is, a leech that seeks to drain all morality and greatness this nation has. Your place in history is one that will be looked on with contempt and disgust for generations to come. I'm sick of the disgusting and abhorrent behavior by people on the left, So are the many millions of young people who think like I do and who are willing to do whatever it takes to restore our country. And that was the comments. What do you think? So, listen, that 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 is taught. That's taught. That's that's parents. That's environment. So do I expect this individual to spew something different? No, because that is what you've surrounded yourself with. And you won't think differently until you've been exposed to something different. The comments that are made are very general with no true baseline. So that lets me know this is an individual who is speaking who really has no thought for themselves. They've heard people say uh, values, lack of values or something of that nature. This individual also spoke from a place of separation. That is something that is taught as well. You, you don't come here programmed to separate. In some cases, people would say, I feel sorry for the way this individual thinks. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't feel sorry for this individual because I think that we're in a time uh, of this state and of these United States of diversity. So for you to not be diverse is an intentional move. It's not one that you didn't see coming. You are you are designing your everyday movements, thought processes, actions to intentionally separate yourself from a group. And that is not something that I feel sorry for. Um, and this is an individual who's educated. Again, you you are choosing to toe this line and to surround yourself with such hate. I don't have anything positive to say. It, there was very concerning language that he used. Now, I'm a student over many decades of World War II. I, I've studied that thing inside and out from every country's angle, from Italy to the U.S. to the U.K. to Japan to Germany. And I know it gets cliche to paint anything you don't like as being remindful of Nazi Germany. Yeah. But you hear those oh, words. Oh, that's what that is. You hear those words, no place for you, mm-hmm. deviant. Mm-hmm. abhorrent, leech on society. Mm-hmm. Those are the words of the Nazi regime yeah. when they drove the Jews and everybody else for that matter out of Germany and out of Poland. They wanted to convert all of Europe into a single race, single ideology. Yeah. And this young person was echoing those things and it gave me 
goosebumps that here in the year of our Lord 2024 that we're still hearing those words that our grandfathers and great-grandfathers fought to eradicate back in the 1940s. Yeah, he meant everything that he said. He did. And and I, I feel, I, you say you don't feel sorry for him. I, I do because, like you said, he is a result of his upbringing. And but at some can, point, he has to take responsibility for those thoughts and break free. And 18 yeah. is still quite young. So there, yeah. there still could be time and hope for him. And I hope yeah. there is. I let the Lord handle that part. <laughs> and with that uncheerful part out of the way, that bit of unpleasantness, yeah. now it's time for the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. Erasing medical school debt has been floated as a way to lure doctors to rural South Carolina. So I'm going to start with a fact. Okay. According to the South Carolina Office of Rural Health, Mm -hmm. there are rural hospitals that struggle to maintain traditional service models. Nationwide, more than 140 rural hospitals have closed since 2010, including six in South Carolina. There are 90 healthcare facilities in South Carolina and only 15 small rural hospitals in our state. Again, rolling back, six of those or six others have closed in the previous years. So we don't have a lot of rural hospitals, but South Carolina is not known for its mega metropolises. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple of cities, Charleston, Columbia, Greenville. But otherwise, I would say most of our state is rural. Yeah. And there is a lot of medical desert Mm -hmm. in our state, Mm -hmm. and it's it's not getting any better. In fact, just last year, it's not just hospital closures. But even stoppages of certain services hospitals mm-hmm. offer, Correct. like OBGYNs. Now, why do we need OBGYNs, Jamil? Tell me. I'm a guy. I don't know. Because we got to protect them babies, too. We got babies, right? <laughs> babies needing to get birth. Yeah. And in the county next door to ours, Lawrence County, mm-hmm. they have a hospital there. But last year, they had to stop their OBGYN practice because they couldn't find physicians Mm -hmm. to come to Lawrence County to practice. So starting in May of 2023, they now have to tell their patients to go to Greenville 40 miles away to get the care that they need. Now, again, I'm a guy, I've never done the birthing thing, but is 40 minutes a good amount of time once it you is, start contractions? It is not. No. It is not. It's got to suck. If yeah. you start, your water breaks, and now you got to book it to Greenville 40 miles away? 40 miles. Yikes. That ain't good. I'm looking for Doc Holiday on the farm, <laughs> you know, uh, who's, who's been giving birth to cows and, and, and pigs to, you to know, help this out. Is, this is birthing, or re, I'm going to say rebirthing, the whole notion of midwives. That's coming back, and it may be due to the hospital healthcare deserts. So as a way to help the rural areas, one legislator, mm-hmm. uh, Senate Minority Leader Brad Hutto, yeah. he has a proposal. He says, look, we need to incentivize young doctors, new doctors to come to these rural parts of South Carolina. Yes. And how to do that? Well, doctors have student loan payments. They have quite a bit of it, as a matter of fact. (laughs) And his proposal is that as long as they commit to work full-time for two years in a rural area or in an area with underserved patients in an urban setting, if they work there for two years, they can get up to $30,000 reimbursement towards medical bills. Now, that covers about the first month of medical school, but you know what? $30,000 
on top of a salary you would normally get, you don't sneeze at that. That's no. not bad for a starting doctor. Uh, according to this article, the median medical school loan debt is $200,000. But again, if the state's kicking in 30000 sometimes the hospital network will also help offset some of your student loans. It all adds up. And mm-hmm. so the state is just trying to do its part. Okay. So I think it's an interesting idea. Where is it going to go? Eh, probably nowhere. They're too busy regulating genitalia and, <laughs> and guns and all sorts of other things to worry about something as serious as medical care in rural counties. Yeah. But still, hats off to Senator Hutto for making that proposal. Was that Hutto's first introduction of that bill? I don't know the answer to that. Because you're right. Oftentimes, these bills that don't make it out of the legislative cycle will get reintroduced every two years. So yeah. this may or may not be his first time I think time this through. is a reintroduction. So he tried it the first time and it didn't pull. So hopefully this time it'll gain some some type weight. Well, time is running out because there's only a couple of months left in this cycle, and then it's off to elections and campaigning. And then they start back up in January. So if they don't get it in here within the next couple of months, it'll have to wait. So when I read this article, my focus was if you're going to say that hospitals have stopped doing certain procedures, you cannot have that conversation without mentioning the burden of malpractice oh my insurance. Now, how do you know about that? Well, you know, that's my background. Yes. So that's my background. I love some healthcare admin stuff. So when we're talking about malpractice, if you have OBGYNs, you, what you will find is that a lot of the OBGYNs will drop the OB and still handle the GYN. So they'll do the gynecological visits because that's not invasive, minimum surgical procedures. But when you're talking about bringing a baby here, the liability insurance that's associated with it is huge. And if you don't have patients that can get to you in a rural area, area, you're probably not making enough money to cover the malpractice insurance, your student loans and everything else. And then if you're talking about how many of them are receiving Medicaid for these visits, again, that's a reduced rate. So then you're not getting enough to cover the reduced rate, the actual rate, and then try to pay malpractice. So there are a lot of contributing factors to why these organizations have stopped producing certain services. I'll tell you a story. When I was in my mid-20s, I had two kids by that point. I had mine really young. Okay. And I I got called for jury duty, so I show up, and during the jury selection process, you'll learn a little bit about what the case is about, and then there's like several dozen of you sitting in chairs waiting to get called on. Yeah. It turns out this was a lawsuit that an old lady, she was in her 80s, brought against an OBGYN Mm -hmm. who was the doctor that delivered both my kids. Mm -hmm. And this man was a hero in my eyes because we had several difficult pregnancies along the way. And he was just right there holding our hands as a young couple through it. He he was just a, a miracle worker. So the case was he had recommended a procedure or did a procedure to this old lady caused her pain and suffering, and so now she was suing. Wow. So then the judge starts interviewing the potential jurors, and when it got to be my turn, again, I'm in my mid-20s, maybe a little bit immature. Hey, who's kidding? I'm still that way. <laughs> you know, First they ask, do you know either the plaintiff or the defendant? And I said, I happen to know the defendant. He is the doctor that delivered both of my children. He is the best in his craft, and you have to be a money-grubbing evil person to <laughs> sue him. They didn't want you. Well, they had to dismiss the entire room. <laughs> All several dozen of the jurors I had just poisoned. The judge was not happy with me. He says that that outburst was, you know, negligent. (laughs) And 
Anyhow, I feel like I did my good deed for the day. And and the shame of it is, I don't know where that lawsuit ended up, but I don't know the outcome. But I do know within a couple of years, he had moved his practice out of the area and went elsewhere. But you're right, malpractice is a big deal. Yeah. There's another big deal, medically speaking, in South Carolina that has a tangential relationship to this rural care, and that's the Certificate of Need Law. Ceiling. You're familiar yeah. with that? Yeah. I had to learn about that. That was interesting. What is your understanding of what that was about? Well, originally, this thing was in place to ensure that if we didn't need another one of you, you couldn't come in here and put it right beside because that would be direct competition. So we wanted to have an equal playing field. Because with medical facilities, it's not like McDonald's franchises, right? Or Dollar Generals. This is life-saving care. Yes. And you can't oversaturate a market. Otherwise, it really affects medical availability. It does. Okay. But South Carolina did what? They got rid of it last year. In fact, that was that was this legislator's like crowning achievement. It was that they did away with this certificate of need law, where they're eliminating some of the rules this year, doing away with the rest in a couple more years. Yeah. But really, it required approval from the state to open up hospitals and surgical centers and so on. As they look at the map, look at the people that are to be served, and, and like you said, make sure that it is distributed and serving things well. Yeah. Anyhow, in this mad rush to privatize everything in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they got rid of the certificate of need law, and now you have open competitions. Yeah. So how does that affect rural health care? Well, there was a quote given by Thornton Kirby, CEO of the South Carolina Hospital Association. And yeah. of course, they had some skin in the game. I think they were opposed to removing the certificate of need yeah. because hospitals are required to have emergency centers. They're required to take in any patient off the street, regardless of whether they can pay or not, and then try to figure it out afterwards. So you open up a private surgical center right next to them. Well, now the same surgeries at the hospital used to make money to offset their losses of emergency care are now going to these private practices. And that really cuts into the hospital's ability to stay open. That's the, the argument. Correct. So anyhow, Mr. Kirby says... You're going to see much more investment in healthcare facilities in the biggest growth markets. So now we're again, we're privatizing. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go where it's profitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to go to the urban centers like Charleston, Greenville, Spartanburg, Horry County. It says it's not going to spur a great deal of healthcare investment in a lot of the really poor counties where there is no hospital currently. So when you see the Republican leaders say this is going to be better health care for South Carolinians. They're not talking about all of us. No, they're not talking about the rural counties. And you know what? There's precedent. Mm -hmm. We don't have to imagine what this is going to be like when the certificate of need is removed. You've got Texas. Mm -hmm. So Texas has not had certificate of need since the mid 80s. So they were trailblazers in the privatization. And what has happened there is that the state actually leads the country in hospitals closing now. So we know what's coming down the pike because it's happened already. Yeah. And now all we can do is just watch our bad situation grow worse. Yeah, not to bring her up, but I think Nikki Haley was running in a leadership position when a couple of hospitals closed in South Carolina. Oh, you think? Yeah. You remember that? That was on her watch. Mm -mm. So shout out to her. My dad was a white slave, a Kentucky Republican tells the NAACP. Boy, lies. talk about talk about not knowing your audience. Lies, lies, she told. <laughs> like you would think, Woo. you would think this was an article taken from the Onion. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you know the Onion, but it is my favorite news satire <laughs> newspaper going back to the '90s. I mean, they've been around since forever. Oh my goodness! But this article sounds so ridiculous to be true, but it is. This was brought to my attention by a listener. 
and former college classmate of mine. Okay. Uh, Mr. Patrick, thank you for this tip. Thank you, he, Patrick. He Facebook messaged me, and I read this, and I thought he was sending me a spoof article, but no, this is real. So here, here is what the news organization Mother Jones reported. In Kentucky, local state Republican Representative Jennifer Decker spoke to a local chapter of the NAACP on the first day of Black History Month. What date would that be, Jamil? February 1st. She spoke to them. All right, so kudos, first of all, for a Republican state legislator speaking to the NAACP on the first day of Black History Month. I think that's progress, right? No. That is not progress. Well, not after you hear what she had to say. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) She showed up to explain why she introduced a bill seeking to eliminate DEI initiatives. What does DEI stand for? Mm, Diversity and inclusion, honey. That's what we need, equality and inclusion. That's right. So she wanted to make the case to the NAACP that DEI made schools more divided, more expensive, and less tolerant. So she was there to pitch that case again. I don't know if she knew where she was or if she had delusions of being able to convince them. But during the Q&A portion of the event, an audience member asked Representative Decker if her family had played any role in the slave trade. That's a great question to always ask. It's like, hey, yeah. did your family own slaves? Like it matters in today's day and age. But here's how she answered it. She says, my father was born on a dirt farm in Lincoln County. His mother was the illegitimate daughter of a very prominent person who was then kind enough to allow them to work for him as slaves. So if you're asking, did we own slaves? My father was a slave just to a white man, and he was white. That was the quote from Representative Decker. So. A reporter later caught up with Decker and really pressed her saying, are you saying that, you know, you working on or your your parents working on a farm is equivalent to chattel slavery that, you know, the blacks have suffered for 400 years in this country? Is that are you saying the two are equivalent? And she later explained that her father, who was a preacher born around 1933, which was 68 years after slavery was outlawed, was born into poverty and worked with his family on the property they lived on. In parentheses, the author wrote, It's unclear whether the adults were paid, though the Courier-Journal notes that it sounds more like Decker's father was forced by his parents to do chores and that the family were tenant farmers. Shame on Decker (laughs) for tainting her father's story with this crap. Shame on her. Now, her father probably was a hardworking man. Yeah. But what she just did was she just debunked that whole theory, and you don't even give him the recognition that he's due if he was a hardworking father. Now, we're not saying that being a tenant farmer was an easy life. That meant that you you didn't own the land you were forced to work on, but you know what? You could work your way out of it, become a free person, entitled to all the rights of society therein. Her daddy was not a slave, and I need for people to stop doing that. Let me tell you some things about this article that got me riled up, and he knew it would get me riled up, so thanks for sending it. Um, When Bill saw it, he probably said, yeah, Jamil's going to be ready for this one. And she was. (laughs) This lady had the nerve to say, uh, use the word kind enough to allow her her family to work 
there. My problem with this is whenever you use the word kind in the same sentence with slavery, I already know what you're going to say is going to be insulting and it's going to be biased and it's going to be a bunch of crap. So anything she said after that part, I'm thinking to myself, lady, remember you're talking out loud. This is not your inside thought. So everything you say will and you can and will be used against you. The other thing that she said is, uh, <laughs> which I thought was a big issue for me. And I'm going to say this and I'm not going to back away from this. When you read her response, this is what really infuriates me as a black woman. Wait a minute. You keep bringing that up, and I'm always surprised every time you say black. that. Oh, my God. Then I'm black. I keep trying to tell people I'm black. Y'all should not spell out. <laughs> this is what really takes me to another level. The only time non-blacks want to at least begin to admit a little bit that slavery could have been real and could have been harsh is if it goes to make their story of pain and suffering look better. So here she is. She's going to say, well, my dad was a slave. You cannot say that your dad, who might have been in your eyes a slave, is equivalent to slavery for 400 years, lady. Stop trying to compare apples to oranges. That's not what we have. And if the only time you can step back and say slavery was horrific, it was awful, it should have never happened, and we apologize for that, if the only time you can do that is when you're trying to make yourself out to be a victim, you can keep that crap because we don't want it. We're going to play a game now. Oh, Lord. Because as horrible of a statement about slavery as hers was, it's not the only one out there that's hit the public market. So I'm going to play some clips of other wonderful quotes about slavery. See if you can guess who it is. You can probably tell by the voice, but let's see if you can tell. Here's clip number one. You ready? Yeah. When you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, you was there for 400 years and it's all of y'all? You know, like, it's like we're, we're mentally in prison. I like the word prison because slavery goes di- too, too direct to the uh, idea of blacks. It's like slavery, Holocaust, Holocaust Jews, uh, slavery is blacks. Notorious anti-Semite Kanye West had some opinions about slavery Listen, there. Listen, when Kanye made this, we were already skeptical <laughs> if we were going to leave him in the black family or not. So when he made that comment, we weren't, you know, the black community, we weren't surprised by this. Kanye been on something for a while. Like, I don't know where he is right now mentally, but every once in a while he'll say something that make people go, what is wrong with that dude? Well, he's he's definitely Trump's buddy going to dinner with him uh, quite often. Yeah. Well, All right, here's our second clip. Two crazy people. One thing within the policy. It says instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Well, you should talk to them about it. I mean, I didn't do it, and I wasn't involved in it, um, but I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later, later in life. Um, but the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. All right, who is that? Uh, oh, I almost said the wrong thing. Um I don't know who that is, Bill. Uh, that's Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and almost the Republican nominee for president of these United States talking about the Florida policy and the curriculum where there was a line that Did he said use the term parlay parlayed that slaves received skills that they benefited from. And yes, according to Governor DeSantis, blacksmiths parlayed parlayed <laughs> their skills and there's something better later in life some you know i used to say that like we don't talk about things and hope that they don't exist but some of these things you got to talk about like it need to be played so people can see exactly how far from reality you are i've got one more clip go can you handle it are you in a good mind i'm gonna try (laughs) all right here's the last one um what was the cause 
cause of the United States Civil War. Yeah, I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil That's War That's your girl. Was? Oh, I mean, my God. I think God. it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Thank you. And in, in the Pass year the microphone, Nikki. It's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, <laughs> That's what took me out. <laughs> that part took me out. That part took me out. How dare you say, what do you want me to say about slavery? But you run around here with your little Nikki Haley signs everywhere talking about what you're going to do for the people. You're going to protect the people. But you don't even know what slavery was. I can't with some of these people. Some of these people, you know, some of these people with their thought processes is very scary to me. I have a feeling one day this podcast is going to give Dr. Jamil Brooks a stroke over here. <laughs> she is going to have an aneurysm <laughs> and just fall over on the side <laughs> from the stuff that we find and play. <laughs> so let's move on to our next uh, news item, which is certainly going to bring us back to a better place. Okay. Low country parents battle diversity, equity, and inclusion <laughs> ban within schools. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry, Jamil. You knew this was going to. Uh, there may be a theme here today. <laughs> this next topic was recommended to us by Tamika hey, from Tamika. North Columbia, yeah. a, a fan of ours. So she turned me on to this article, and I want to play a video clip from Live 5 WCSC News. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Justin Kolar. One South Carolina bill could soon remove conversations surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion from school curriculums. Our Caitlin Ashbaugh explains why this is raising alarm bells for some families and breaks down that law. The fate of initiatives supporting DE&I are currently in the hands of state lawmakers, potentially closing the book on any discussion regarding race, color, sex, or ethnicity, grabbing the attention of Lowcountry parents. These efforts kind of reiterate some of the things that we were told by our parents and grandparents about the true environment of racism and, and how it impacts us. A.J. Davis says sending his son to school shouldn't feel so hard. He believes a kid's quality of life could be at risk if Bill 4663 passes. That ties the hands of teachers and staff members from embracing all students, all cultures, and creating a truly holistic uh, learning environment. The law would ban the influence of race, color, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity in most state departments or institutions. What's catching the eye of families is the inclusion of school districts. This is not a standalone issue. These same folks are really advocating and pushing the same narrative in every component of society. Josh Malkin is a former educator, a reason why he feels these topics should be on the same level as other academics. You think about your own identity and how you're impacted by the world, but you don't think about how other identities are impacted. And I, teaching was such a transformative experience for me because I, I got to see that. If a department is told they violate the law, a student or employee could take them to court. A state auditor could also withhold financial distribution to the office until a violation is cured. Seven lawmakers are proposing the bill, Representative Brandon Cox for Berkeley County being one of them. He did not respond to multiple attempts to request comment. Of course. If the bill passes, it will be effective starting next school year. Reporting in Charleston, 
Caitlin Ashbaugh, Live 5 News. So in the last article, we heard about a Kentucky state representative making the case for an anti-DEI bill. Here in South Carolina, we've got an anti-DEI bill. Over 20 states, red states primarily, have the same damn anti-DEI bill proposed. Now, it's not a coincidence that somehow on the same time, Kentucky felt like they had a problem. South Carolina just coincidentally had the same problem. So do a dozen other or more states all have the same problem at the same time? No, this is a coordinated effort. And again, my hypothesis is this started back in 2020 as a reaction to George Floyd's murder and the fact that all across the nation, people rose up with Black Lives Matter and it scared the living bejesus out of them. So now they are putting into law intimidation and fear to make sure that it is not talked about in businesses or in schools, whether it's higher ed, like colleges, where grown-ass adults should be able to handle these tough discussions, uh-huh. or even down in high school, where it's certainly appropriate to young adults growing up into society, yeah. that you can't make any effort to make sure that your workforce is more diverse. What do you end up with? You end up with the damn all-male Supreme Court, Ooh, as we have in South start. Carolina. Mm-hmm. And soon, as the only black member that our Supreme Court is about to retire, April. it's going to be an all-white male Supreme Court. Which is a problem. And again, DEI is set to help rectify that because left unrectified, you end up with the majority in power putting in their ideals and what they look like and feel like, and that is not good for our state. So let's be clear about this. I, I understand that there are several attempts to erase history or hide history, but history is not something that's going to ever be erased. And it is the responsibility of the people, of the grandparents and the parents to pass that information down. So even though a book may be pulled, it is our responsibility to make sure that we inform our children of the things that are important. Do not allow a piece of legislature to stop you from growing the minds of your children. That is, that's a problem. Now, this law that's proposed, I will say what it does is it is another way to mimic slavery, but it's the legal way. See, slaves couldn't read and couldn't write. So your mind was held captive. But the moment the ability for you to gain access to education came to black people, they embraced it. We loved it. We began to grow. We began to get better. And we began to have access to the same resources that our white brothers and sisters had, which made sense to everybody except for the people who still believe in slavery. So since they can't legally keep us in bondage and oppressed through slavery, they will write laws and put them on the books that does the same thing. The reason DEI is even a thing is because there were so many qualified uh, black people who did not get considered for positions and entry into school. Now, I want you to be aware that the same purpose that DEI was established for blacks, you've had other races that are non-white that would use that to provoke themselves as well. In this, nobody is saying that we're underqualified. Mm -mm. We ain't saying we inadequate. We're saying we got the qualifications. We got the experience. So stop looking over us and choosing to take a lesser qualified individual because you don't want to incorporate black people into your organizations. You can't serve a population that you don't relate to. 
So you have all these mega organizations and all of them have products and services, but you're going to say we're going to oppress a certain group of people because we don't feel like they should. And when we talk about uh, race neutral environment, race neutral environment is only for the people who are afraid of something. It's, It's for the people who are a little shook. You are absolutely right. George Floyd, that death, his death triggered a lot. What people found out is that things that occurred in the past is not something that today's generation is ready to receive again. And I want to point out and make this clear. It is not just black people who are fed up with the hate and the racism. This is a joint fight. We have people from all different backgrounds, all different nationalities. Jill, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but what? I'm white. You are, Bill. And you know, I feel like I'm part a, of the fight. Every once in a while, I think there's something about you. That's it. <laughs> so, I mean, you see this and what you're doing. And I've said this a couple of times before on this podcast. Though they think that they're drawing a fine line, what you are doing is you are you are actually helping us to build a stronger army against hate. I want to make sure we are clear in the difference between some of these alphabets uh, these these acronyms, right. uh, CRT is about critical race theory. Yeah, and that and that's about what is taught in the schools. And the DEI is more about policies and hiring practices and training of employees to include disabled individuals. In, indeed, and veterans. I mean, it's truly yes. to say, hey, we're going to make sure that the underrepresented members of our school and our community are welcome, that their needs are addressed too. Yes. And it's not meant to exclude others or put one group above another, but it's to say, hey, we understand as a disabled veteran, you may have needs in navigating this campus, attending classes, and and having some things that the normal student may not. Or as the only black student in an all-white school, maybe you have some needs, or maybe the only LGBTQ member or what have you, So you may want some extra attention. So my question to leaders is, is, is very simple. Why do you not want to respect and protect the population that you serve? What they haven't shown is what damages DEI is causing. So you had the Kentucky Republican lawmaker who says it's creating a more divisive environment. They are creating it. Yes. It is them. You can't say, hey, I'm going to knock this vase off the shelf and look, you are creating a broken glass environment, store owner. Yes. And you're the one that's knocking the glass off. You're doing it. You're yeah. trying to turn it into something that it is not. And this is all there. I, I still I'm going to I'm going to stand on this to the end. This is all their attempt to continue to suppress one particular ethnicity. Now, what's the outcome of all of this? You know, all this anti-DEI, all of this anti-Civil Rights Act stuff. Mm. That takes us to our final news article for the day. All right. Now, if you couldn't make out what that was, there is a clip that has gone viral over this past weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee, where there was a Nazi march right down the streets of the city. And if you couldn't tell what they were chanting, it was the lead man was saying deportation. And then the rest of the crew was chanting back saves the nation. Yeah. So, yeah, they were able to rhyme. Good for them. Good job. 
But when you suppress the DEI, when you're talking about diversity as a bad thing, when you think that white people are being suppressed somehow mm-hmm. by lifting up black people, mm-hmm. then you end up with Nazis marching in the streets of your city. Yep. When you allow and make excuses for things like January the 6th, when the insurrection occurred, you are creating an environment where this foolishness can take place. And it's just not accepted. And, you know, I get tired of hearing people say, go back to where you come from. I hate that comment. However, I would like to extend an invitation. If the melting pot, as you know it, in these United States is not feeling good to you, you can't adjust to living and coexisting in an environment where people make individual choices that don't impact you. Maybe you should consider other countries where there's more of a dictatorship. Maybe that would be the fit for you. But I tell you what, this kind of mess would not last in a true dictatorship country. I believe if individuals who had this much hate here in the States went over to another country, they would be back in a week because this crap wouldn't fly. I'm going to play a local news article from Knoxville, Tennessee, reporting on this march. Tensions running high this afternoon in downtown Nashville. Good evening and welcome to News 2 at 5. I'm Kenley Hargett. This comes after a group of demonstrators were seen at several points throughout the city. News 2's Nikki McGee has more on the march. Some are calling concerning. Nikki. Yeah, I can leave this afternoon. Several lawmakers and officials have taken to social media to share their frustration after a group of masked individuals reportedly made their way through downtown. This video shows what appears to be roughly two dozen demonstrators carrying flags with swastikas on them. This video taken downtown near Broadway. The people appear to be in red and black with masks on. This afternoon, Representative Justin Jones said he was confronted by the quote Nazis as he was leaving an event honoring black sororities. House Majority Leader William Lambert and Vice Mayor Angie Henderson both called the group unwelcomed in Nashville. I also spoke with Representative Afton Bain on Zoom. She tells me she believes this is part of the Blood Tribe extremist group, and she's very concerned to see them in her city. This state emboldens the far right by the hateful rhetoric that is at the state legislature um, and by refusing to call out Um, a Tennessee uh, that is very scary for a lot of communities across our state, including our Jewish communities and our Muslim communities. This is a group that is um, notorious for uh, hate against these minority groups. And I am adamant in that leadership should absolutely step forward and make a statement. You notice that group that they said about two dozen. So let's say 24 of the 24 I think I counted four that showed their face. Oh, no, I think it was, they were all wearing black masks except the leader. I only saw one whose face was exposed. I, I think it might have been four. Well, well anyway, but, but so what I'm saying to, to that is that says something to me. That says that should say a lot to all of us. That these are individuals who feel passionate about a certain topic, but they won't stand behind what they're saying. And you could take this a different, a couple of different ways. These are individuals that may have ties to a community that serves uh, black and brown people every day. And so they may benefit off of the services uh, and the, the payments that black and brown people use for their services every day. But the whole time they are feeling like this is what we want. 
So according to the Anti-Defamation League, this group, Blood Tribe, is a growing neo-Nazi group that claims to have chapters across the United States and Canada. They emphasize hyper-masculinity. They do. This group does not allow female members. Sorry, Jamil, you cannot join. Correct. They believe <laughs> Adolf Hitler is considered divine or godlike. The leader claimed that Hitler was the reincarnation of Wotan, who is the German king of the gods. So this is this group that is marching through the streets of Knoxville, Tennessee. So you heard one Democratic representative speak out, just call them disgusting and disgraceful yeah. and, and how the hateful rhetoric allows for it. But before we heard from her, we heard from State House Representative Justin Jones. Do you and remember He's him? famous. Yeah. Do you remember what he was famous for? Yeah, he was one of the ones that they ousted. Yes. Because of his stance. Yeah. There was that mass shooting in a school in Tennessee, yeah. and he and two other Democratic leaders were brought up uh, to be ousted by the House because they protested against the gun regulations. In fact, one of the things that Tennessee did after that school shooting was pass legislation to protect gun manufacturers mm. from any litigation and, and suing <laughs> for damages. So they raced to defend the gun producers right literally as the blood was drying on the school floor of that Tennessee school. Mm. So Justin Jones gained notoriety in his fight to not be kicked out of the state house. But did you catch where he was when he watched that group marching? He was coming out of a black sorority, a sorority event. Now, I know you are a proud sister of a sorority. Go I ahead sure plug am. Them down. Delta Sigma Theta Sorority now, Incorporated. What would, the, what would the Delta Sigmas have done if they saw these blood tribe lunatics walking down the street in front of their event. What would have gone down? I cannot speak on the behalf of Delta Sigma Theta. Because I, I, I want to buy tickets and I'll bring the popcorn because I want to watch that. Yeah, but I can tell you that. Because um, it would be a community service. It, <laughs> I like that thought process. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit much. I, I just can't. I don't want to mix in Jamil with uh, that, so... I also want to point out that there were a couple of Republican lawmakers in Tennessee that did speak out, but I want you to hear kind of their angle on this. So, of mm -hmm. course, they had to speak out because Nazis are bad. Can't, mm -hmm. can't argue that. Mm -hmm. So one state representative, uh, Representative Jody Barrett, posted the following statement. This is a made-for-clicks fake clown show. These idiots are either paid performers or low IQ lowlifes who need to go back home to their mother's basements. Either way, they are worthy of all the ridicule and scorn we can muster. So rather than acknowledge that their slogans, deportation saves the nation, aligned with the same laws that they're out there promoting, they called them paid performers, thinking it had to be an outside influence and that this was all fake news. Mm. Here's another GOP uh, lawmaker. This was the majority leader, William Lamberth. He wrote, go away, Nazi thugs. This is Tennessee, and you are not welcome here. By the way, why not show your faces so we all can see who you are? I would be willing to bet that none of you are from anywhere near here. Mm. Again, it's not that their message is bad. It's that they are outsiders. And what is he essentially saying? Mm. Go back where you came from. There it is. They'll, that, throw, they'll throw that phrase out every chance they get. <laughs> even if it's against their own kind, against you know the Nazis, yeah. you're going to say, you're not welcome here. Go back where you came from. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a phrase that I get nonstop. Do you really? I do. I do. Because you're not from South Carolina? Because I was not born in South Carolina. 
Uh, and 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 what? even even my opponent in this race sent out a letter to all of his constituents saying I bring in New York values and I should go back. He uses the same phrase. It is a trope. Here's the and here this Nazi group is saying deportation. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> go, mean back go back where, where you came, came from. from. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be lonely for them not really knowing where they came from. Yeah. It must be a lonely place for you to think that you can send somebody else somewhere and you you have been led to believe that you, this is your country. Well, listen, I found out that my great-grandfather is from Charleston, my grandfather it. born in Greenville. Let Guess just, what? I'm back where I came from. But let me just say something about that. You, you, Neither one of those individuals had to be from here. If you've lived no. here, you are a part of here. And I, I tell people all the time, this is not their America. It's not my America. It's our America. It is. They Thank don't get you. to call shots. Oh my gosh, I'm going to stand up and salute the flag. Well done. <laughs> and that's a wrap for Aww. this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We hope you enjoyed what you heard because Jamil certainly didn't. Please take a quick minute and leave us a rating using your favorite podcast app and a review of what you heard today. If you do, it will keep Wotan at bay. <laughs> And prevent his followers from marching in our streets. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith. Keep up the hard work. Change only happens over years of work and dedication. And run 2024, please. The end. I wish it could be the end of those groups. (laughs) The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2024, all rights reserved.